This is Giant Robot FM, your home of all things Mecca, be it giant or otherwise. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We are episode two of our Planet With coverage. PMC, how you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling energized. All I can think about is is Kohei Tanaka music, and it rocks. Yeah, it does rock. Even though like that that nice relaxing beat tends to play a lot, but I love it so much. It's just, it's such a chill track to relax to. And of course, joining us again, Caitlin Moore. Welcome back to the podcast, Caitlin. Glad to be back. Caitlin, we, I have a quick warm-up question for you today, but before we get there, do you want to quickly reintroduce yourself for whatever l- listeners are just jumping into our planet with coverage now? Um, my name is Caitlin Moore. I am a writer for uh, Anime Feminist, as well as an editor and one of the founders and the community manager. I wear a lot of hats. And um, a reviewer for Anime News Network. If you want to check out some of my most recent writing, I had an article just go up today, uh, the day of recording, on Anime Feminist about the manga My Brain is Different, which is... Uh, several first-person accounts of uh, living with um, ADHD and autism. Very cool. Now, I've, I'm going to feel like a real anime podcast host now with this question. How do you feel about the upcoming fall season? Uh, better than this season. <laughs> I um, heard this summer was see. pretty uh, pretty. <laughs> pretty uh, I've, I'm watching two shows. I mean, this season has some really solid sequels, or next the upcoming season has some really solid sequels, like the next half of Spy Family. It has the third season of Mob Psycho 100. It has um, a, a remake of Arusa Yatsura. It's got a new Gundam show, which I'm sure y'all are really hype about. You could throw uh, everyone for a curveball, Caitlin, and cover the new Gundam show at, on Anime News Network. I don't do weekly reviews, unfortunately. I just don't have the time in my life for that. Um, I hear you. I I, I have trouble pumping up, pumping out like an article in like the span of a year now at this point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, some some real series. There are some series I'm really looking forward to coming up in the summer season. So definitely going to be a lot busier with that than I am right now. I hear you. When does the, is there like an official start? I I feel like such an anime noob here, but I usually don't keep up with current new anime. Is there like an unofficial start to the season? Yeah, so it usually starts around, there might be some early starters at the end of September, Mm -hmm. and then um, it'll really get into full swing on the 1st of October. Okay, very cool. All right, so we have a very short warm-up today. We weren't going to have a warm-up at all, just because, you know, Caitlin's been joining, will be joining us for the duration of our Planet With coverage, and we did a lot of warm-up last time. But I couldn't help but notice, Caitlin, that you started playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, so I have some <laughs> questions. I'm very curious how it's going. Um, P- PMC and I have very different ap- uh, opinions on it, mostly based on the gameplay. Well, um, 
I'm playing it on easy. So mostly I just kind of let the characters do their thing mm. during fights. Cool. And every so often the ATB meter fills up and I have them choose a thing for them to do. But yeah, gameplay wise, it's fine. Uh, I'm having, but mostly I'm having fun enjoying the story. I started playing it pretty much immediately after fin- finishing a replay of the first Final Fantasy, which PMC will remember I played in college um, for the first time. It was quite the adventure. Um, Wait, the original yeah. Final Fantasy VII or Final Fantasy One? The original Final Fantasy VII. Oh, mm-hmm. gotcha. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I remember uh, the I FF8 playthrough more than the FF7 playthrough, <laughs> but that's another <laughs> subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which, you know, after I finish R, I will play Final Fantasy VIII again, and I will continue to not fight the random battles. <sighs> but it, what about playing Triple Triad, though? We'll see about Triple okay. Triad. all right, all right. They have an app for that. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm having a great time playing Final Fantasy VII R. It's, it kind of feels like it's not so much a remake as a redo. There's a lot of meta elements, um, and references back to the original so I'm really intrigued by a lot of the mysteries. Um, seeing Aerith like alive and happy kind of hits pretty hard um, when the emotions are still so fresh, even though it's been memed on so much. And yeah, no, I'm just really enjoying it. I'm adding, I'm loving the extra characterization that you get when you get their, the body language and facial expressions and voice acting. It's just, I'm a little mad I had to stop playing it to come record, actually. <laughs> well, don't worry. We won't take up too much of your time. <laughs> but I, I was very fond of Remake as well. I think I did myself a disservice by not replaying the original 7 before, because I played 7 when I was pro- in the late 90s last time all the way through. So my memory is super hazy when I played Remake two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 2020 is at the start of the pandemic. Um, so I might actually play PMC. What's the name of that? stupid little game that's coming out that just like recaps the events of seven you know that's ever crisis i might actually play that because i might need a refresher i'll tell you the original still uh, still holds up i mean i had played it more recently the original ff7 i think around like 2013 2014 i had had run through it and Mm. i I think it's really kind of the best one still in a lot of ways the best at least of the the ps1 games yeah I mean, there's you know everyone can point out the obvious issues with some of the the English text in that game, but like just in terms of like the core substance of the game on multiple fronts, uh, it really works. It, it's the only it's the only FF of that era that doesn't have like a a weird ass steep ramp going into like the final disc of the game, uh, which I think really throws the other ones off for me. Yeah, I hear you. But also, I played that game on classic easy, and I don't regret it for a second because I I do not like. The I do not like the normal level gameplay. The fact that it lets me play in classic easy and enjoy the story lets me forgive that because obviously I, I can have that fun experience of enjoying the narrative. But mm-hmm. uh, the boss fights were all like, well, I'm you know like checking my time. Look, look at the time. I got to go somewhere. Like, why are we still in the same you know boss fight phase for twenty minutes or whatever? And I I got very frustrated with all that. I I do not yep. like what feel like big sponges. Yeah, I was. I remember watching you play like Hell House, and I was like, I was like, my wife, maybe like bring some popcorn in here. This is gonna take. It's gonna yeah. take a little while. <laughs> yeah, Hell House was a lot. I mean, I clapped in delight when it appeared. Don't get me wrong. 
I was looking forward to seeing Hell House because that's a classic, but mm-hmm. that fight also took forever. Yeah. Where are you in the game? Because I'm curious, maybe you'll finish the game uh, before we finish our coverage, because I'm curious about your thoughts um, of how the game ends. I'm in the sewers right now. Okay. Oh, the sewers are not, the, are not great. <laughs> All right, PMC. I talked about transporting us back to the late 90s. Now I want you to transport us back to 2018 with Crunchyroll's Crunchy Episode 3, Planet With Summary. Soya won his battle, Mew, but the rest of Grand Paladin shows up to stop him. In the ensuing battle, he's defeated, and Sensei is forced to take drastic measures to keep him from being captured. All right, so Avenger 1, actually, the, our coverage worked out perfectly because there are a lot of like episodes that are paired together that fall within our coverage, which is nice, because we're going to talk about Episode 3, Avenger 1 today, and Episode 4, Avenger 2. And Avenger 1 picks up immediately where Episode 2 leaves off, with Soya surrounded by the Grand Paladins. Sensei and Ginko recommend that Soya give up and surrender, but vengeance coursing through his veins, he refuses. Takashi, realizing at this point that diplomacy will not work, orders the paladins to capture Soya. A fight of the more bare-knuckle sort breaks out. I gotta say, first off, I want them to put Sensei in Super Robot Wars. Caitlin, are you familiar with Super Robot Wars? How could I not be? (laughs) Have you played one before? I, see, I have never played no, Robot Wars before. I have not played it. I've watched a little bit of my husband playing it because okay. he he likes Super Robot Wars. He never gets very far because he has a limited attention span. <laughs> um, he always he always gets distracted. He he almost never finishes game. But yes, he very happily tells me about Super Robot Wars. It's very fun hearing about all of the different. Uh, series and characters kind of crashing into each other and they there's some obscure picks in those super robot war games no planet with representation as of yet i kind of doubt there will be but if it would be great if they did because giga cat hammer is such a baller move in the anime i imagine it'll be an equally baller move in the video game uh credits to the uh, animators at jc staff i can't keep saying that because i'm really impressed by a lot of the animation in planet with I've, I've been lukewarm on the cg stuff but this time in this battle i feel like this move is a moment where there feels like there's physicality to the cg like it feels actualized as to as opposed to like extremely plastic and fakey fake it feels like there's weight behind his attack which is conveyed through some pretty excellent fight choreography i think I think a lot of it also kind of comes from the sound design. Mm. Uh, this show has awesome, just really crunchy sound design. And those Kohei Tanaka tracks rip. Uh, I need to get the name of that one, the track that always plays during the battles, just so I could name it during the pod. But it is, it's a real, it's, you know, talk about uplifting battle themes like with Final Fantasy VII, but I think Planet With has some real bangers. Now, you know, battle stuff goes on. During the battle, Haru manages to pin Soya to the ground, which Soya breaks free from using, again, Sensei's hammer. Now free, he makes a beeline for Takashi, whom he recognizes as their leader. Takashi, not batting an eye, summons his own photon armor, which he uses to counter Soya's attack. I mentioned before a lot of these, I find a lot of the photon armor, even though they all have very distinct designs, when, I watch, when I'm watching the show, they kind of all bleed together, especially if they're all in the same frame. 
Takashi's photon armor looks very reptilian, even like a bit insectoid, kind of like a beetle. Caitlin, you pointed out the animal connection earlier with Torai. Is there an animal connection with like Takashi, like in the name? His uh, surname, Ryuzoji, uh, mm-hmm. Ryu means dragon. Okay. Makes total sense. Yep. Breath of Fire. It's Ryu. He's a dragon every time. That's where I know it. <laughs> and also, you know, Street Fighter too. It's interesting that Takashi's special move is called Thor's Hammer, given that his photon armor looks nothing like anything I'd associate with the Norse god. Yeah, you know, I was trying to think about that as well. Why why pull in that reference? And the best one I had was, you know, Midgard Serpent. Generally mm. speaking, I think in this show, you know, the the dragon stuff, there's a lot going on, I think, with the use of the dragon imagery, but certainly world-ending events is one of them. And, you know, the Midgard Serpent, famously associated with a world-ending event. PMC, were you ever deep into North mythology? I think I had a brief period when I played Final Fantasy games uh, okay. where I said, like, what are all these names about? You know, and that was sort of the peak of my, my interest in mythology. But yeah, I mean, I, I looked into it at the time and probably had a few myth books here or there from the library. Yeah, I picked up that Neil Gaiman like collection of Norse short stories over the summer. I, I had, so I've been falling off games for the rest of the year. I plan to start the school year fresh and actually finish a game and play a game consistently. Um, but I've just been jumping into games and then not finishing them. But I had planned this like cool ass Norse summer with like two Valkyrie profile games. And PMC can attest, I make these grand plans for games that I'm going to play and finish and never even get fucking close to like getting halfway through the first game. But alas, uh, North mythology has been on my mind a bit this summer. That's why I wanted to ask. You know, and as we all know, teachers have plenty of time to play video games. It's famously. It's really like I'm at year and you're like eight of teaching now. And I have fortunately, fortunately for the podcast, my school schedule hasn't shifted too much. Like if I got like two new classes, <laughs> this might be the last episode of Giant Robot FM just because I would have to juggle all of that. It's it's like podcast. It's like t- it's it's Twitter. It's Twitter. That's the problem. Because I, I once I put the baby down, it's like eight o'clock, clean the house a bit. I'm in bed. I could play my switch for an hour, but someone, some like jackass says something on Twitter that takes up all my mental energy or like I get a good idea for a tweet and it takes like 45 minutes to prep a very simple tweet. Can't log off. Can never log off. I I need to get off Twitter. That's the thing. Twitter can be very useful for certain things, but certain other things like, why did I just spend all of my time on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, I have been spending less time on Twitter because I've been busy busy playing Final Fantasy VII R. As it should be. I need to take a page out of your book. So good. Now, but uh, we'll talk about the end of Episode 4 when we get there, but I couldn't help but think about the end of Episode 4 at this point because at the end of Episode 4, like a lot of the ends of episodes in this show recontextualizes a lot and kind of upends the status quo, which I think the show is really good at. Like, the the way I felt about Takashi at the beginning of episode three is different now that I finished episode four. But I will say, even in episode three, even during this fight, I feel like Takashi's entrance on the battlefield feels a little underwhelming. A lot of my mutuals right now, and we talked about this last time, are watching Giant Robo. And I was a big fan of Chujo, the boss figure, with the glasses and, like, the nice white shirt he's wearing. PMC was a little less taken with Chujo yeah, than I was. I don't, I don't praise bosses, Steven. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a bootlicker. I'm just saying he's got style. <laughs> and I think, like, and he has style, and Takashi does not have style, I feel like. 
Like, there are certain moments in anime when the boss character rolls up his sleeves, figuratively and literally, and, you know, jumps into the battle. And I feel like he di- he's not as stylized here, and he's definitely not as stylized or stylish as his subordinates. Like, maybe the show is signaling something, or maybe I just have a very d- narrow definition of what looks cool. I don't know, I'm really into the design of his because I feel like it is, even before getting to episode four, we already get a sense that like there's something wrong with his photon armor there. Mm. You know, the, the, we talked last episode, right. About all the, the various like to- Toku signaling that was going on, the Tokusatsu signaling. And I think here mm-hmm. as well, you know, the like big bulbous tail, the roughly dragon esque features. And even without episode four, we know that dragons are bad news already. And so we're seeing that we're also seeing that sort of um, like pendant focused, uh, which is is something now I, I feel like I, I can take literally, you know, that's, that's sort of what he represents is, you know, the, the darkness of that power that is under control. And that's that is a thing that is deeply alarming to, to see and to witness. Um, so I kind of like it uh, functionally, you know, as a part of the story. But I will say it also kind of reminds me of like like a little bit of like DBZ designs. And this is also because of the melted cliff. Let's be honest. Like obviously anytime I see, you know, a big, a big uh, land structure fall apart, I can't help but think of my childhood like many other people seeing DBZ. Uh, but it, there is a general sort of thing. Like I, you know, I feel like in a, in like a Kuratoriyama designs where in Chrono Trigger or, or Dragon Quest or DBZ where it's like, Oh, we're going to take this fantasy thing and like throw a few pauldrons on it. And that's a design. And that's kind of, <laughs> kind of also how this, how this particular photon armor feels what do you think about the name photon armor i remember once pmc like when we started the podcast years ago you like sent me you messaged me like give me some names for like mobile suits like orbital frames mobile suits and we we actually had trouble coming up with more but here's another example photon armor you're a fan yes makes me think of photon cannon Mm -hmm. and photon cannon makes me laugh (laughs) i wonder if does it actually have meaning or is it just like a cool sciencey sounding name? The photons, like light. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem to be connected about anything to anything actually about the armor. I can't really think of a thematic connection off the top of my head either. Yeah. I mean that yeah, I, I would be curious about that. I mean, certainly when they emerge, you you get that crystalline growth which is very, you know, like connected. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely put it there. But yeah, the, in terms of like the, the final form, because, you know, so far our our photon armors are, you know, either the, the regular heroes have the, the sort of golden ornate ones. And then we have this dragon-esque one, Dragon Air from, uh, from Takashi. Mm-hmm. True. So Takashi using his spe- special move, Thor's hammer, releases a streak of energy that cuts through a nearby cliff. Fortunately, Soya manages to invade it. Excuse me, Soya manages to evade it. The two tussle, trading blows. Soya acknowledges Takashi's power. He senses the aura of the dragon that destroyed his planet, as we all say from time to time. Suddenly, the sky starts glowing, and a massive kaiju-sized sensei makes landfall. It picks Mecha-sensei up, and tosses both it and Soya into its mouth. Takashi, for whatever reason, chooses not to press his advantage and orders the paladins to retreat. Now, somehow, after the battle, Soya is transported back 
to his apartment where he drifts off to sleep. Straight out of a David Lynch film, Soya has a dream, more like a vision, of Sensei talking to an anthropomorphic dog in front of a whiteboard on a stage. The pair cryptically discuss the power dynamics that exist within Nebula and the fate of Soya's homeworld. Turns out, Sensei took it upon himself to watch over the inhabitants of a planet called Sirius. Like the Earthlings, some of these Siriusians or Siriusians were evolving at a faster rate. Eventually, that power became overwhelming, manifesting in a dragon that caused the planet's destruction. Sensei's peer wants to prevent a repeat of that event by sealing humanity. Sensei, however, thinks he can surgically intervene to prevent the apocalypse on Earth without limiting humanity's potential. I just want to announce that now we know the planet's called Sirius, or the old one was, I'm going to be spending the rest of this show seeing if anyone says, let's get serious, or it's serious time. <laughs> That's all. That pun would have to translate, like, <laughs> transcend languages, PMC. But Japanese puns uh... are always like, baseball, I thought you meant octopus. And I don't say that but disparagingly, but it's, it's not like a one-to-one. because right, because of the language itself, right? Like, like the peas joke, right? That was a, a situation yeah. where the, the katakana worked out. Look, yeah. I have faith in the folks who do the localization work to make these things happen. I believe in them, okay? Crunchyroll, pay your translators what they're worth. Also that, yeah. Caitlin, you know the PMC deep lore. When you when you knew him back in the day, <laughs> he was he obsessed with using puns? Like, I knew oh him in middle school, and he, I, I don't recall him using puns quite as often. He did. There were many occasions where he would just walk into a room drop a pun and everyone in the room would just go oh it's true and then he would make that face <laughs> where he would like put his his like hold his chin between his thumb and his index finger and like raise his eyebrows maybe <laughs> waggle them at us long long before i ever spammed the thinking emoji on twitter i was Thinking, thinking, thinking emoji in real life for sure. Time. If I could only go back in time, I'd visit PMC in his college days. It was raucous, is what I'll say. <laughs> A lot happened. My college days, on the other hand, were anything but raucous. <laughs> All right, but speaking of the deep lore, um, I know deep. Like, if Mizukami was listening to this podcast, and maybe he is because he liked one of our tweets. <laughs> um, Damn. And, he heard us talking about the deep lore he'd like roll his eyes because it's it's inconsequential to a show like planet with but i am curious because i i did like i wrote down everything they were saying to see if i could like pick out any nuggets and i'm curious if there was an inciting incident that caused these different alien species to band together like or maybe it was simply to prevent what happened on sirius or or what happened to the siriusians to happen to other peoples or themselves you know, kind of like mutual cooperation for mutual protection. PMC, speaking of old PMC, we were both very into the Halo video game series back in the day. And if you know the Halo deep lore, you'll know that the Covenant were a group of different aliens that make a promise, a Covenant, to band together for a specific reason. It's a different reason than why everyone here is banding together. Um, the Nebula, compared to the Covenant, seem less hierarchical, more divided. But I couldn't help but ponder these questions as I was watching Planet With. Do a temperature check on Sensei. Uh, Sensei is growing a bit on me. Um, I was very suspicious of Sensei in the beginning of the show. 
as as I think many of you, I think it's by design. I mean, he is using this boy almost as a weapon. You know, your your Gundam senses should be flashing at this point. But I I think <laughs> Mizukami yet again subverts my expectations. Like I'm not like Team Sensei, but I simp- like I see where Sensei is coming from now. I I understand a bit about the grief he feels for his failure to protect that planet and its people. It, it must weigh on him. I, I do hope as the show goes on, we get some more interiority and insight into how he feels and what he went through. Like, did he have friends on Sirius? Every time I say Sirius, I think Sirius FM. Like, did he have friends on Sirius FM? What's his relationship with Soya? Like, did he know Soya on the planet? Did he know his parents? Or is, like, Soya a, pro- Soya a proxy for, like, other people who died? I'm sorry, you just really distracted me. And I'm going to say this before anyone adds us. <laughs> Sirius XM. It's a satellite radio. My bad. My bad. <laughs> I would feel more like a tool if I got it right, though. So maybe my credit. Maybe. Yeah. Big corporation like that. My my type. Oh, go ahead. Oh no! I was gonna say I cannot say too much because I know the answers to all those questions. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil it. All right. Well, I'll lead into some of what I was gonna say. But I mean, the first thing I'll say about Sensei is that I already I already liked him. I like Sensei a lot also because, uh, first off, I think it's just awesome. Whenever you hear someone who's been doing a really good job with animal noises, just like do some regular ass speaking, I think it's really, really excellent. It's just funny. And, you know, it works here in this, in this dreamlike bit. Um, in terms of, you know, the things that he's expressing, I think it's really interesting to hear the way he talks about. So I think you've already mentioned a few times, Stephen, that you know, so is I mean, it's kind of almost like a weapon that it amplifies uh, Sensei's own power. Uh, you know, for also for reasons having to do with, with Soya's character. I think that's really, really neat to kind of have that, like that mecha thing flipped on its head to have the suit talking about the pilot in that kind of like the pilot isn't hearing you sort of manner. Cause I think so often, even when we have suits talk, it usually be like the suit only talks to the pilot, right? Like, could you imagine if like Sandrock were talking to heavy arms about Catra? Like what, is, what, you know, what does that scene consist of? Uh, I hope. Oh I, God. <laughs> Frantically <laughs> looking to see if there's a fix. I hope Sandrock, I think Sandrock would say nice things, but. But Sandrock would be too busy posing for like the firefighter calendar. Remember that one shot early in the show when he's Sandrock's posing very suggestively. (laughs) I think I might have. You guys had to go and refer to Gundam where I would actually know what you're talking about. Well, that's why I did that though. Break my (laughs) because I wanted to make sure you were on the same page. (laughs) How that's important. This is why you have to cover Witch from Mercury week to week. You you have you have a lot of Gundam knowledge to give the people. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't know. We kind of love Caitlin, making Gundam Wing references. So. Have, Kate, real quick, what? Caitlin, have you ever pissed off Gundam Twitter? It's it's always a hoot. <sighs> we have. No. I feel like I'm not enough on Gundam Twitter's radar. I have, like, I have friends who are in Gundam Twitter. Like, um, my I'm friends with, like, the couple that runs Gunplo 101. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're chill. So I like I only know like the chill parts of Gundam Twitter, but I know about Gundam fans. <laughs> so I don't really fuck with that. 
Well, speaking of dreamlike qualities, I also wanted to mention that the vibes in this scene rule. There is so much <laughs> so going good. on here. Yeah. I mean, you've got the like the formal names are great. The stage, uh, Soya being in the audience with just like a bucket of chicken is just <laughs> so good. And also, you know, like there's so many things going on here. You know, Stephen already talked about the world building stuff, the vibes, the character building stuff. But there's also like present day plot going things going on because Shireshi is just off off stage for some reason that you know we don't know about yet. Uh, there's again, you know, I, I'm gonna say the word efficiency. Like there's just a lot going on here, and it's really really awesome. I I do also really like the you know I know uh, from our coverage of Spirit Circle and Mizukami's works that he just seems to really like dreams and dreaming you know and, and and those sorts of things and so here the the whole bit with uh you know soya being in a dream and biting the blanket and that sort of thing that sort of inner uh you know the the i guess the you know the sticking in the physical item in the real world as a uh you know in the same place as the dream item uh i always <laughs> i always really enjoy those kinds of bits and so uh to 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 kind of piece together all of those is a real treat yeah i love like soya having the big bucket of fried chicken and just like trying to take a bite and not being able to because i feel like we've all had dreams where there's like this really delicious looking food in front of us and we're so excited to eat it and then just dream logic always takes over it's like you cannot eat it for some reason or you wake up just when you're about to eat it I feel like that's what always happens when there's food in my dreams. Also, so I have a language note here. Uh, uh, Kigurumi is like, you know, those big, like, kind of pajama-like suits that are, like, really loose-fitting? Um, they have a hood. You know what I'm talking about? I've definitely, I know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Whenever, you, whenever anyone says the word hood, like, my brain just fills with Organization 13 images. I apologize. <laughs> okay, well, that's because you're broken as a person. <laughs> um. Oh, I see now. Okay, yes, yes. The big, yes, the very baggy one-piece pajama thing. Yes, okay, okay. Yeah, those are called kigurumi. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're like big, you know, animal people. They're the kigurumi. Race of pajama people, they look, yeah. Yeah, well, they look like they're wearing animal costumes. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's cute. Um, so, by the way, I realized something today. We haven't talked about the the aliens from this episode yet, right? I'll save it. I'll save it for later when we get there. What do they call themselves when they leave? It's kind of like when you've been playing D&D &D all day and you like leave on a very D&D-S note. Like, I think Sensei says, I have one of them open, farewell pacifist of chaotic black i'm not sure and then the other is sealer of fastidious white that's like something i would have written in a fantasy fantasy short story i wrote in middle school or something like i, and I love it learn fastidious it's good do we have a name on the dog uh alien i don't think so at this time i don't think so no are they do we know if they're the sa they're the same aliens like race or species or are they from different planets is there a planet of little white dogs they're Kigurubians. Now, is Sensei a Kikaru? <laughs> I can't pronounce it right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's what I thought. I was making sure. Somehow, after the battle, 
Oh, wait, no, I just I read that up earlier. So he expended so much energy during the battle that he must sleep for three days to regain his strength. When he wakes up, Ginkgo and Sensei fill him in on what happened. Turns out that giant, tens of stories tall Sensei is his spaceship. And like he says, the ship and the apartment are connected by a short warp. They t- Afterwards, they turn on the local news and watch as Takamagahara... The class rep is interviewed. Uh, this this beat was very funny. Uh, she's worried about her friend. So I love how the news broadcaster says, okay, time to interview this middle schooler. Very funny. And uh, she says that, you know, she's very concerned about her friend who's not named in the news broadcast who went to the bathroom before the battle and then disappeared. I'm sure he found the bathroom is such a beautiful thing <laughs> to say to someone in that situation. So PMC is a fashionista as we can attest based on our conversation three minutes ago. So I'm sure he always appreciates these little notes I have on like fashion choices in the anime we watch, but I couldn't. (laughs) PMC, do you want to tell the audience what you're gesturing towards? So I just, uh, you know, I just, I have a tank top on. It says stay free on it. Um, which Steven, do you, do you actually know? I'll ask Caitlin, do you know why I would have that on a shirt? No. Oh, okay. This is, this is all right. I'm going to keep this quick. This is a good tangent. Stay free. Real quick, though. Listeners, you might think so. you might be making a political judgment about PMC because he's wearing a tank top with just stay free. But do, don't go down that road. In, the, in like the same pattern as the thank you trash bag, which is like especially good as well. Yeah. Um, so stay free is a fighting game community thing. It's kind of how it's most known in this usage that I'm I'm referring to. And it typically means that your opponent requires so little effort to beat that they are free it is a free win you don't need any effort and so you have beaten them and you are telling them to stay free to you know continue to be a person that requires zero effort to beat uh i was once wearing this in a local cafe and the owner of the cafe said they really enjoyed my shirt they really appreciated it I was like you know like stay free like enjoy freedom and i said that is not what it means <laughs> did you elaborate i heard this story before i think i did although that that, that owner is a very sweet person and i I don't know if they would have really appreciated it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. PMC, have you ever been spotted in the wild as a streamer? I don't think I've ever asked you this. I don't think it's ever happened, but I thought I'd ask I anyway. I think so. Not in the wild, wild. Oh, yeah. Not, I mean, yeah. I, at events, you know, people are like, oh, hey, yeah, but not at. Gotcha. Caitlin, have you ever been like, oh, is that Caitlin Moore from the internet? <laughs> not as far as I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I tend to, I mean, I tend to try to be kind of pseudo anonymous, pseudo anonymous on the internet. Um, I don't post pictures of my face a whole lot. Same. I mean, I don't hide it. I just don't post pictures very much. I also change my hair a lot, and I also don't go by my real name. So, I don't recall ever getting recognized one time i recognized someone else who i remembered from attending one of my panels uh she was working at a store near me but no i don't think i've ever been recognized for it i do want to say though i love that shirt the shirt that's a great shirt shirt i would wear that shirt i would i would buy that shirt i would buy i would put down some trigun double dollars on this shirt 
Um, if, if you need an image, listeners, if you haven't watched this episode or forgot what Sawyer's shirt, how dare you forget what Sawyer's shirt looks like? It's, it's like a muted blue. It's got a little spaceship on it. Got some, like two gold stars. I mean, he's into UFOs. We know that. Maybe it also signifies that he's an alien, but I think the, the piece as a piece of fashion, it rules. Um, I don't know who would be in charge of licensing this shirt. Like I would really like a custom fitted cross promotional tee. JC staff or maybe Bondi Namco Arts or Mizukami. Whoever wants to sell me the shirt, I'm more than happy to pay yeah. up. Mizukami, call up uh, call up a Uniqlo or somebody. They'll do it. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, back at Grand Paladin HQ, the remaining defenders train in preparation for their next battle. Later that day, now reunited, Takamagahara invites Soya to join her after school for some extracurricular activities. I was writing that sentence like this sounds a little salacious, but listeners, get your minds out of the gutter because it's 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 hundred percent, it's like one hundred fifty percent innocent. It's the cutest thing imaginable. Uh, Takamagahara wants Soya to join the occult research club. Is it really innocent, Stephen? It's it's a cult. Come on, <laughs> where where is your satanic panic, please? Man, maybe I'll be asked to advise the Occult Research Club at my school this year. I'll Are there real Occult Research Clubs? Because this is not the first time I've encountered one of these. Um, like I know, for example, having recently played uh, The Last of the Trails of Cold Steel games, there's a lot of Occult oh. Research Club in the academy at the, uh, at, the, at the school in those games. And I feel like there is some of that in other games as well. Is there any... like Pop Psycho 100. There you go. We got another good example. Occult. Yeah, so, like, do kids do this? Is this a thing? Or is this just, like, a I trope? Have, I don't know. <laughs> Help me understand yeah, saw, the kids. I, I saw this in the notes. It's like, uh, hopefully Caitlin has an answer for this. <laughs> I mean, when I, were, I didn't work in, like, the schools when I lived worked in Japan. So, I didn't really know anything about club activities. And, like, my children that I work with now are too young for clubs. Because they're five so yeah no i honestly i couldn't tell you all right if anyone listening has thoughts about this please i would love to know yeah or if you're if you're a high schooler yourself feel free to start an occult research club i i would happily advise one we the one of the issues at my high school is that some of the teachers are a little checked out or busy. I know, I'm not casting a judgment here, but they don't have time to dedicate to advising clubs. And it also makes sense that they're not stipend positions. But I, because I'm known as a generous and nice guy, people tend to come up with me with their club ideas. I'm going to talk about a club I advise a bit later. But I, I've advised like a fishing club, uh, literary magazine, which makes more sense. That's in my wheelhouse. Uh, just a general lit club. Um, a bunch of other clubs too, but no one's come up to me about an occult research club. I would be a hundred percent down for that. I do not advise the anime club because I wasn't asked, <laughs> and I also don't advise the video game club, um, which is fine because I think they have an e- a teacher who's interested in esports. I have nothing against esports, but you're asking the wrong person. If you want like detailed analysis of a mecha game from 1992, I'm your person. If you want like I don't know. If you want tips on how to get good in Valorant, I'm not the right guy. They just wrote a grant, though. Like, I walked into my library over the summer. There's, like, 10 Alienware computers. Like, where where did these come from? But they what? got some... Yeah, they wrote a grant. And I was like, can I write a grant? Get some podcasting equipment? Meanwhile, my computer that they gave me at work takes, like, five minutes to open an email. 
I know, I know that pain. My school laptop, I'm not recording this on my school laptop. My school laptop's on my elliptical where I sometimes watch anime like Planet Withon or, or Star Wars The Clone Wars. Adorably, the club has its own greeting, which Soya learns when the two other members arrive. I had to look up Hiro Oka's, Hiro, Hiro, Hiroko Oka, Hiroko Oka's name because I couldn't find, I don't think it was, she was name dropped in the episode, but I looked up the credits online but she's the red-haired girl and nezuya tadayoshi uh, the two other members arrive i guess as pmc will correct me later uh nezuya is not actually a member he has since graduated high school but turns out and you might remember know who nezuya is because he's one of the grand paladins when he's not defending earth from intergalactic threats he's some (laughs) the sentence is a doozy he sometimes drops by his old high school to see what the occult club's up to but before we talk about Nezuya, I want, all right, people, I want you to tag yourselves. Are you a UFO, ghost story, magic, or UMA, which stands for Unidentified Mysterious Animals Type? I'll start with Caitlin. I would say probably UMA. Um, but also, I'm skeptic. I would not be a good member of the <laughs> Occult Research Club. You get that X-Files. I would be like, all right, guys, time to debunk all of this. The, this the research says... Dichotomy. The what dichotomy? The Mulder and Scully. I'm not an X-Files guy. PMC, have you, you got seen it? You got it. Mulder and Scully. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a, the Scully. And once again, the episode has circled back around to buckets of chicken. Excellent. <laughs> PMC, tag yourself. Uh, I'm definitely ghosts. I'm definitely... Not that I believe ghosts are real, but I think the aesthetics are good. And even if there isn't a ghost, it will inevitably turn into an episode of This Old House. <laughs> I like ghosts. I like the opening of Resident Evil 7, but I'm, I'm UMA, Unidentified Mysterious Animals. I want that Loch Ness. I want to believe. Quick check here. Have either of you played Disco Elysium? Yes! Okay. All right. So you know what I'm thinking about then. All right. We're on the same page. We're on the same <laughs> okay, page. Yes. Oh All my right. gosh. Yes. Shout out, shout I really want to. The Insulin oh. D Phasmid. Is that the right? Did I remember that right? I think that's what it's called. Uh, Insulindian? Yeah. The Insulindian Phasmid. The thing that I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah, no, the uh, the one that just, it looks like grass. Yep, yep, very cool. It's a good game, Steven. You should try oh. that if you ever have a chance. A, I know, it's 120% a my shit. Yeah. It's, it's, oh my that, God. I really want to play Kentucky Route Zero. All the, all oh, the- I want to play that too. Same. All right, PMC, I'm going to hand the mic to you here because you have strong words for Nezia. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree necessarily. Okay, I'm going to be real here. If you show up, to your high school wearing the uniform like you can just walk around in high school you should probably be arrested i don't know that feels real bad to me we don't know how old nezzy is but like this is real weird this is not good energy i I went to a high school with uniforms this is terrible energy i do not appreciate this at all (laughs) so uh i really don't know you know maybe the norms are different but this was a strongly negative reaction for me, uh, which was frankly reinforced by the rest of the uh, you know the rest of the episodes we're covering here. Uh, that Nezia is not a good person that I would not trust. That he sort of um, I guess lets his ideas carry him away. All right, I I like Nez. I I don't disagree, but I like Nezia just because. Okay, I don't want to interrupt you. Jump in. I mean, I don't feel like he's. He feels harmless to me. Like, he's just... I don't... 
know exactly what he's been doing since he graduated. I'm pretty sure he graduated recently because he he looks still looks very young, mm-hmm. and like he's just like he's got such a classic case of Chunibyo. He wouldn't do shit with in reality. <laughs> you know, personally, I find it very. <laughs> Very funny how he walks around holding this book like it's so cool. And it's just a fucking light novel that he's holding upside down. (laughs) Did you notice that his book is just upside down all the time? I thought it was. I thought it was, yeah. So yeah, I I think he's fine. Yeah, I'm warm. I I like Nezuya. I I don't disagree with PMC's point because it's a good point that I was going to make, but then I forgot to make it. Quick temperature check. Uh, I before going to college, only went to schools that had uniforms. I'm pretty sure, Stephen, you had no uniforms. Caitlin, what about you? I went to middle school that had a uniform, and now I still can't wear polo shirts. There you have it. I don't like polo shirts, though. I don't like the texture, so I agree with Caitlin. I had to wear them. My middle school had, like, a super strict uniform for, like... It didn't have, like, the one uniform that you had to wear, but, like... It was three buttons, short sleeve, white polo, navy blue bottoms. No exceptions. We didn't even get to choose between navy blue and khaki. Oh, that's weird. It sucked. Yeah, it I mean, sucked. It, it was it was top to bottom Catholic for me. And in like the first and last months, you would have polos, and then after you know, in between, you'd have you know button down shirts or blouses. That should be your new Twitter like slogan, top to bottom Catholic. Like PMC PMC trilogy, top to bottom Catholic. I like to think that I've overcome that in my life, but maybe since we're still talking about school uniforms, it's not true. I mean, what I understand is you never really stop being Catholic. <laughs> the guilt. Like see a Martin Scorsese film. <laughs> Speaking of Martin Scorsese, I, I was pretty fond of Nezia. Uh, characters who go out of their way to like look cool and chic but are super dorky i i did find him pretty endearing just because like i agree with your points pmc i would be more concerned if he was like exploiting that power on screen which i i didn't get that vibe even though i'm not gonna like co-sign on everything he like likes in episode four but he's in episode three he's passionate about what excites his curiosity he's not afraid to share it i i I was super warm on him when he accepted soya as his friend i thought that was a nice move and that warmed me up to him do you think we'll ever meet the other members of the club? Mm. Looking at Caitlin for a real. I'm visually <laughs> trying to read that face. I hope. I hope it turns out they're actually literally ghosts. That's my call. Sticking That's very spirit circle. That ghost that haunts the laboratory. Mm-hmm. Yes, it would be in keeping with the theme of the club too. Yeah, they just want to understand themselves. So as they're under, finding finding themselves and understanding each other themselves, the four of them while away their after-school hours doing independent research. While sharing their findings, Takamagahara reveals that Soya has amnesia, which piques Nezuya's curiosity. Nezuya says he's glad they've become friends. After their research session, they play a board game called Reversi until the sun goes down. Reversi a game? Yeah, I think it's usually called uh, Othello. Okay. That's another name for it. I When I saw it, I was like, oh, that looks like Othello. And I only know that because I think I had like an NES game, an Othello NES game with the like black and white chips. I was not. Y- yeah. Oh, oh go on, Caitlin. I'm pretty sure the same. I'm pretty sure the same, the same thing. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, TMC right. gave me a look when I said I had an NES game. I was Sorry, not, I, was I was reacting wor- to NES. That's just how I react to when people mention the NES. Well, I, I, was, I picked up an NES late in life when I was garage, like garage, garage yard sailing. I don't have whatever verb you want to use. I was going from garage sale to garage sale to pick up retro games, and I happened upon an NES. I think Othello was included. All right. Well, just to clarify, thank you, Wikipedia, for this weird information. A reversi is a strategy board game for two players played on an 8x8 uncheckered board. It was invented in 1883. Othello, a variant with a fixed initial setup of the board, was patented in 1971. Weird. There Um, we go. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to type in some things into the chat. But that, you know, just imagine that I'm typing in things that y'all can't hear. <laughs> As PMC's uh, typing vigorously into chat, I got to say, I settled right into the vibes of this scene. It was, I love this scene. Out of the two episodes, this is my favorite, like, 10-minute stretch. It was a nice, comfy blanket that, like, I pulled over myself. Maybe I'm just, like, looking at this from the perspective of an educator, but there's such a warmth to these kids voluntarily getting together to quench their curiosity and share that knowledge with each other. I encourage, as an educator, my students to do the same, and it's something I try to build into my curriculum, like encouraging my students to independently and collaboratively explore, express, and share the things they're passionate about or would like to learn more about. It's very heartening to see. And also supports Sensei's position that human potential shouldn't be restricted or stamped out. Because, you know, they're, they're evolving in their own way intellectually uh, during this exchange. Emergent curriculum! Yes. Yeah, no, I love this scene so much. It, it really did bring back memories of, like, just chilling like the way um the president like just kind of was like all right guys let's get researching and just like rolls over on her back with her book um it was just it felt very true to life just a bunch of teens chilling out together i love soya discovering a new interest and just being like what is this and like getting like super into yuma's which was really, really sweet. Um, yeah. Like, you know, because when you're a teenager, sometimes you see something and you're like, my brain, it, this is like making electricity go off in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's how it was seeing anime for the first time for me. <laughs> that's why I'm a, why I'm a, a UMA, UMA is because Pokemon, uh, clearly. But anyway... Yeah, no, it was just, like, such a nice little scene that is so true to life with how how teenagers kind of spend time together casually. Um, it was sweet. I got big horror-he vibes from this scene, too. And I'm a fan of horror-he, but I feel like this scene is, like, devoid of some of the gross fan service that would be present in that show. And the, what I like here is the dynamic is less hierarchical. I mean, I mean that show, you've got Haruhi, like, forcing them into the club. But here, they're all here because they want to be. I advised a lit club last year that I want to shout out. I, I teach 11th graders and 12th graders. And ele- in 11th grade, everyone's starting their own club. They call it resume building. I'm not judging them in any sense of the imagination or in, in any sense of the word. But, you know, they're... They're padding out their college resumes. They want to found a club. So they found said club, like the fishing club, for example, or the Othello club. And if they're just concerned with the resume building aspect, they won't really dedicate the time and energy to really get the club off the ground. They just want the name. 
student approached me last year about starting a literature club. I said, of course, I'd, I'll advise it. And um, he was very gung-ho about it. And he got like 10 like-minded peers to join him like every other week to discuss literature, like literally discuss literature. It's very heartening to see. So I remember one time I was like supervising three things after school. I had detention running in one room. I got the literary magazine running in the other. And I got the lit club across the hall. They're all doing their thing. I walked into the lit club like 10 minutes just to make sure everything's cool. And they are acting out Hamlet with swords. And they all have a copy of Hamlet. And just seeing them voluntarily get together after school to read a play was incredibly heartening. It reminded me a lot of this scene, except less silent, less quiet than this scene. Um, It was very cool to see. And like another week, they were playing like a, a bespoke literature Jeopardy game that they took the time to make. It's very... Very cute and very heartening to see. I wish I did more clubs back in high school. I, I was in Latin club. PMC, you were. If if my memory serves, were you in a science fiction club or like a fantasy literature club yeah, with like D and D? There was um there was a a faculty member at the high school I went to who uh who I guess oversaw a nerd club and it was under. I hope this God I hope this doesn't give away the high school I went to. It was called Speculative Fiction Club. And, uh, and so, you know, and it was, and it covered a pretty broad range of topics and there'd be people running D and D and talking about stuff. And it was just, again, it was just sort of being a smaller high school than the one you went to, you know, you can't quite, you can't get too specific or otherwise no one will be there. So it was just sort of a, a, a banding together of various interests. You were in band too, right? Not yeah. to call it all. <laughs> yes. I yes. think that's how we met. Cause I remember I was in a basement. We would all meet up at basements and then... <laughs> Someone turned to me and go, yeah, I met this guy at band camp, Mm -hmm. and he's really into JRPGs, and I think that was your description. You were really into JRPGs, and then they invited you over to the basement. That would have been in in August of 2002. I think that would have been right. Only we knew what a podcast was. Only we knew what a podcast was. We could have beaten the trends. (laughs) Oh, man. I would not want to go back to a podcast that I was hosting in 2003. (laughs) No, thank you. Oh, God. No, thank you. Burn, burn the tapes. <laughs> Don't check the tapes. Burn the tapes. All right. So their the, the, the late afternoon is wrapping up. The group breaks off into pairs as they head home for the night. Soya tells Takamagahara that he had a really good time. When he gets home, like a concerned parent, Ginko asks Soya how his day went. And like a typ- typ- typical teenager, Soya brushes off the question with a vague answer. Ginko tells Soya that he can stay on Earth, which Soya seems open to, provided he completes his revenge. Their conversation is cut short as sirens announce the appearance of the next nebula weapon. There's a real part of me that wants to linger in these quieter scenes. like so, Not just Soya chilling with his classmates, but I really do want to see more of the domestic routines of Soya's apartment rather than segging to the obligatory mecha fights. I know a lot, like, important stuff goes down in the mecha fights, especially when we get to, like, the illusions, so to speak. Um, But I I find that, I feel like I find that a little less compelling than these nice character moments. I think the character moments are very important to kind of fill out the series, and, you know, the, the mundanity is a very deliberate contrast with the fight scenes and it really characterizes Soya as not a human, but like as a person and as a very normal teen in a lot of ways. Um, so I really do think 
they're 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 super important but at the same time i feel like if we lingered on them for for too long it might drag a little bit i think i think they have like just the right amount and i but the fact that they exist even though you know once again going back to economical storytelling that they're an important part of that storytelling um, is really beautiful and masterful. Caitlin, if I had a magic wand, it could wave it. And if I could change Planet Width from 12 episodes to 26 episodes, would you take it? Would you summon forth that monkey's paw? I don't think so. That's probably how I, uh, I feel, too. I will feel when I finish the show. This time, the threat is a gaggle of giant upside-down babies who are approaching the city. Is there a noun for a group of babies? Like, I was writing that sentence, and I was like, like, like uh, the ravens, like a murder of ravens. What's a bunch of babies? Reddit. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Ooh <no. laughs> that was good. You know, you saying that brought back a very specific memory of a few months ago at my work, where there was just a lot happening all at once. I had had a child trip over my shoe that I was in the middle of putting on and scrape her eyelid on a chair leg, so there were tear like blood coming out of her with her tears and like i I've, like was scared that she had like literally lost her eye but um so i like come running out in the hallway at, to get an administrator and there's no one there and i look down the hall at where the baby rooms are <laughs> and all of the babies that can crawl have escaped the room and are crawling down the high down the hallway and <laughs> The adults are just, like, standing there powerless to stop them because they can't leave the immobile infants, and it was just complete chaos. But that makes me think of, like, um, a brigade of babies. I like the alliteration there, brigade of babies. I also love that they have Always the, gotta do the-, the, the sealer, the, the white dog, is on their diapers, which is also a beautiful touch. Mm. <laughs> it's a good thing to point out. The Grand Paladins engage the babies. Nezuya and Haru discover its weak spot, or I guess their weak spot, because there are multiple babies. I don't know if it's like one single brain between those babies. Who knows? I'm looking for the deep lore here, Mizukami. And they proceed to the core. Haru finds herself in a field of flowers as Miu combs her hair and recounts their shared grade school experience. I mean, they talk a lot about a lot of important stuff, um, but it happens. a lot of it happens during grade school. I, I really like the two of them as a couple. Um, they, It's very, I use this word a lot, but it's very heartening to see them express such admiration and love for each other. But they're also a source of like emotional support for one another. I find that really nice. Like They're each other's rocks. And that's what makes a really good couple. All right, so, okay. So I have the thing that I wanted to say. We can talk, get to it now. Which is that um, it occurred to me that all of the uh, nebula weapons that have been sent are kind of like, kind of resemble children's toys. Mm. And specifically, children's toys that are designed kind of for social emotional growth. Like you have the teddy bear, which is, you know, soft and cuddly and comforting. Um, you have the piggy bang, which is like, you know, um, long term thinking, saving your money. Um, not just 
bending it impulsively. You have baby dolls, which are like, you know, nurturing and caretaking. Um, children love to like hold baby dolls and pretend to change their diapers. And, and so I don't know if it was a deliberate design choice to have all of that, but that is kind of what I realized. And it really works with the metaphor of humanity being like children and Nebula wanting to influence their development and one side wanting to influence their development by kind of gently guiding them and one wanting to influence their development by um, limiting their choices, basically. That's no. a great read. Yeah, no, that's neat. I, I like thinking about it because I was trying to think of like, what's the through line of these, right? And that is uh, that's an excellent, excellent read on that. I'm very curious what we get next because I have no idea what's coming as far as the Nebula weapons are concerned. Hmm. Haru overcomes the vision and defeats the Nebula weapon. By the way, shout! I love to shout, shout out good uh, fashion. Like I mentioned before, I really like them in the princess outfit and in the prince outfit. Very cool imagery there. Kind of reminds me of a Gundam with a Gundam wing OP. Um, like the best animated frame in the entire show is from like the second opening with Hero and Relina, and they're wearing that very or- those very ornamental costumes. Completely rocks. And it, it reminded me a bit of that, except I think in Planet With, it's a little less ornamental, but they, it looks great. We'll talk about ne- Nezuya's vision next episode, but he's not faring quite so as well as Haru is. All right, PMC, I need my... Any any concluding thoughts on episode three, Avenger 1? I don't know. I think these work really well as, a, as like a two-unit stretch. Like, I'm trying to think if there's anything I really, really settle upon here... Like mostly, I'm just thankful for. I, I think you know the takeaway from our discussion is that there's a lot of um, things that are that are set up here in terms of the interactions between characters that are really paid off. I mean, that's kind of how this episode ends, right? It's uh, everyone sees Nezia falling out, and that's the final thing is Soya reacting to Nezia Nezia being visible. So uh, mostly, I I think it just. Uh, it's cool the way they link these episodes together. They really are a, a two-parter. I think episode three might be my favorite yet. Episode four I liked a lot, but it's a lot of fights, and I prefer those smaller, quieter character moments. Um, but yeah. Kayla, any final thoughts on episode three before we move on to four? No, not really. All right, PMC, I need my next episode mm-hmm. summary fix. Episode four may be my favorite so far. Harry's mm-hmm. armor goes out of control, becoming a massive dragon to stop it. Grand Paladin and the pacifist faction will have to join forces to attack the giant enemy crab for massive damage. No, sorry. MC, I, know, I know you how much you like Fire Emblem games, and basically this feels like the end of a Fire Emblem game as one of your characters is turning into a dragon. Mm-hmm. That does happen from time to time. <laughs> or like more like every game. Yes. Meanwhile, as Haru confronts her self-esteem issues through the love and support of Miu, Nezia grapples with long-held temptations and desires. Tonally, the two couldn't be more different. He's given the option of becoming the only male transfer student at Pretty Girl Academy or the popular producer at an idol agency. His parents show up. His dad points out that he has a buxom stepsister before a throng of adoring female admirers mob him. So... To his credit, I feel like Mizukami's having fun playing with the genre tropes without getting super, super gross. This type of humor isn't really my cup of tea. Kind of reminds me of the Lancelot gag from Holy Grail. But the scene doesn't overstay its welcome. It's like a minute and a half long. And at least when compared to 
harem anime, it's a lot more restrained with its fan service. And Nezia still comes off as a dope. I really want to call out the other the other gag here that you didn't name, which is the lottery ticket one. Where the I think it's his sister who says, like, yeah, we got a trillion yen lottery ticket. What do you want to buy? Monsa oh, yeah. Michelle or Amito Castle. And that was hysterical because this is <laughs> this is a giant robot FM deep cut, I guess. But I just talked with Steven on a Viewplots episode. It about, is um it is Atami Castle. There we go. I yeah, so I miss well, I'm I'm focused on Monsa Michelle because that was in Onimusha three. So I I virtually went to that castle very recently. <laughs> Any thoughts on the virtual uh, equivalent of Monsa Michelle? Uh it was full of demons, so regrettable. <laughs> After the destruction of the Nebula weapon, the Grand Paladins retrieve Nezia, who appears to be placidly dreaming. Haru, enraged and empowered, flies off to confront Soya. Benika and Yosuke blast off after her. Takashi orders his dad to return Nezuya. Miyu and Tarai run off to find Haru. I want to talk about uh, Takazo here because I like that they're being very coy about how awful he seems to be. I think it's really interesting that he, he immediately recognizes Nezuya's dreaming as like, oh yeah, I know what kind of dream that is. I'm right there. I know exactly what's going on here. <laughs> And then, uh, and then, kind of another look. I might as well call it out now because I don't think it's really it, it's as important to call it out during the scene. But during the uh, the end of the episode bit, he's just like voraciously stuffing his face, like he has no control, like he is just. And I, I you know, they're showing him in that way, like just rifling through because we already had the the eating joke. But uh, I I think it's interesting that like to talk about efficiency they're they're characterizing this guy like constantly and i'm really really interested in however that pays off i'm super, pretty well i'm super curious about y- yosuke just because all right so he's the green-haired dude with glasses he's barely had any screen time i had to look him up because i was like what's this guy's name is he a paladin i'm looking at caitlin here is he a paladin i was reading yeah. an old yeah all right is he because there's an yeah. old ANA article that specifies he's a young man employed by Grand Paladin, and everyone else were was characterized uh, as members of Grand Paladin. So I wasn't sure either way. A lot of those old, like a lot of those articles, if it's one of the ones that I'm thinking of, the older ones are like either machine translated or mm-hmm. translated by like someone who doesn't speak actually speak English very well. Gotcha. Um, it's like. A publicity copy that they had to paste pretty much verbatim um and so a lot of that can have like kind of clunky or poor awkward wording so yeah no he's he's a grand paladin gotcha um they also say his name twice in this episode like directly they do yeah this went right Um, over my head though so i think so what i think is interesting is how Nezia is the only one so far who does not manage to break out of his dream. And he kind of has, like, the silliest... I mean, not kind of. He definitely has the silliest one. Like, he has clearly, like, he doesn't have any, like, major trauma in his life. Um, His family runs a sake brewery. His dad wanted to be a lawyer. All of his desires come from fiction. They come from watching anime and reading light novels. 
And thank God this was before the slavery isekai trend took off. Um, because I don't know what I would have done if part of his fantasy was um, owning a harem of slaves. Um, but, you know, he's he's got the goofiest, most shallow dream, and he's the only one who isn't able to break out of it. And I think that is kind of really interesting thematically. Like, what does that say? Like, that people who haven't faced kind of harshness of realities and disappointment are the most, are the ones who most easily get caught up in fantasies. You know, it's, it, it doesn't take like a firm, like obvious stance on it. It doesn't say the, the quiet part loud, but that's kind of what I've always thought about with him. I remain unspoiled, but I hope we see more of Nezia. I'm curious if he's going to remain in this state, or if how long he'll remain in this state for. Haru finds Soya and challenges him to a duel. Sensei seems confident they could win. Haru puts up a hell of a fight, perfectly in sync with her photon armor and pushing it to its limits. But Soya, with cat-like reflexes, manages to dodge her attacks and take out both its arms. Tapping into some primordial energy, Haru manages to rebuild her photon armor, making it grow new arms. The fight continues. Haru flashes back to a past conversation she had with Miyu. In her judo gear, Haru vows vows she'll avenge Miyu by winning her match, which she does, ably, but with effort. She hopes to do the same now. Using Sensei's hammer, Soya lands a blow on the photon armor's chest. Declaring she won't lose in front of Miyu, Haru pushes Soya off her. To do this, she has to summon forth even more energy, which causes her photon armor to transform into a dragon. You know, presumably this is what destroyed Sensei's planet. Like, to quote Fellowship of the Ring, they dug too deep. They tapped into some serious shit. Yeah, I, this is really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, I think we're going to get probably in why it's interesting thematically, but also plot-wise, uh, this strongly suggests that the dragon from the flashback is somebody. My call is it's whoever that goober who, that disappears in the OP is. That guy. It's probably him. But uh, but yeah, still interesting, the the revelation that, you know, that that, <laughs> that imagine, imagine Dragons happening. The, the Speaking of the dragon, speaking of Imagine Dragons... The dragon is supposed to be the embodiment of untamed malevolence and cosmic destruction, but I feel like its design does not convey that power. Like, I want something darker and more twisted. Like, what we get is rather bland. Like, I want a boss from Elden Ring, and I feel like what we get get is a Final Fantasy world map enemy. The dragon's design is terrible. It's just, there's no kind of going around that. The dragon's design just sucks. Yeah, I feel like what they wanted was to flavor the dragon, like based on Haru, and so they went with the like they had like they had a note like somewhere there was a board that said squat like in big in a, like or the equivalent term in it on it, and like that's sort of what I what I get from it is that it's like a wrestler dragon, but that isn't really enough. Um, I mean, when you you also squat when you poop, and the dragon is kind of shaped like a turd, so. <laughs> I feel like that scatological connection and humor would be right up Mizukami's alley. Oh, you know what? I all right. Since I know, since we've established at this point that obviously Mizukami is listening, I wanted to say that before she grew the dragon arms, 
that Soya had infringed on Haru's right to bear arms. All right, everyone, this is when we end the podcast. <laughs> like forever, not just this episode, just podcast ever. Podcast over. He, I don't think PMC has dropped a pun. He's been punning a lot more on recently. <sighs> Maybe Caitlin, because you're here, because you're here. He punts a lot on stream. There's old old connections, you know. They bring it back. Yeah, that's true. Rekindle. Yeah. <sighs> I want to call out, uh, you brought up a good point, or you brought up a point, PMC, with the dragon looking mm. like horror, and horror changes a bit now that she's tapping into this energy. And I I can't speak critically about this just because I haven't read the manga, but I couldn't help but notice that when Haru's appearance changes, she looks a lot like another Mizukami character, Jinka Yamato from Sengoku Yoku who I think acquires demonic abilities. I saw, when I was doing my research for the history segment, I saw a few covers and scans from different panels. She has red hair, very similar to how horror looks. That's the end of my comment. I just thought it was an interesting fact. Who knows if I'm on the money with that. I, I think there's some demonic shit, like some Inuyasha shit going on there, but I'm not quite sure. PMC, how many dragons do you want to see? I want to see... I mean, you can give me as many as you want. Because the, the thing is that even if the dragon design isn't great, it's going to still tell me about the characters, which is going to rule. Because like, that's the thing I, I really also thought about was just comparing and contrasting this dragon to to Takashi, who is, you know, undeniably, given the tales, also, like, dragon class, I, I'll, I'll say. So I'm, I'm really interested to compare and contrast dragons and what they tell us about the characters who are engaging in that behavior. Maybe I'll start a gimmick Twitter account where I post dragons from anime. A dragon a day. Ginko points out that Haru's psychic powers interacted with the dragon's power inside the vial and then amplified it to the point where she lost control. The dragon is literally and figuratively swallowing up Haru's essence. Not to mention, it's also firing pot shots at the city, doing incredible damage. In a classic enemies-turned-reluctant-comrades turnabout, Soya joins forces with Benica and Yosuke to put down this cosmic threat. Predictably, because, hey, it's a dragon, it flies into the sky to evade its attackers. In response, Ginko deploys their trump card. Cosmos, Matanbi Z, a special boosting drink for adults. Really, really, really love this bit. Mizukami has a world weariness and cynicism to his humor that really speaks to me as an adult, which is interesting given that he draws manga for a specifically young adult demographic. I'm not trying to slight that demographic. I feel like if I was reading a manga specifically written for like 15-year-olds, it would be like a different alcohol joke than this one. This one seems seems very lived in, and it feels like very adult, like a 35-year-old, a 40-year-old making a joke about beer. What's a hangover? Yeah. What's what's a hangover? Yeah. Wait. What? <laughs> what's what's that? So you needs to not know. Uh. I'm so glad they follow up with that later in the episode. Oh, it's great. It's absolutely it's outstanding too. And I also like that it's like a really I don't know, at least like in my personal experience, like it's clearly a very shitty hangover, right? Like this is this is the, you know, the, the, the tour de France, yeah, the four loco of hangovers. Like you're not having a good time here. You are not going to be able to just recover the next day. Yeah. It, it's, you are going to be <laughs> in bed. You are not waking 100%. up and, and drinking a glass of water. You are, you are bedridden. You are not going to try to take anything in or else you are going to continue to puke it up. Yeah. Nope. Had those, had those hangovers. 
mostly while I was living in Japan. So it's a hard drinking culture. I've heard that. I had a teacher, a teacher who currently teaches at my school. He taught in Japan for 10 years, met his wife there. They came over to the States. But anyway, he talks about how they drink late into the night and into the early morning. The bars don't close is the thing. Mm. Oh. The bars close when everyone is done drinking, which can go until... There was more than one occasion where uh, one of my friends would be like, well, missed the last train. Guess I'm drinking until the first train. Like, quite literally. Not not exaggerating. Yeah, no, it it is a very real thing, and I definitely had, like, plenty of days where it was like, I'm not moving from my futon. That's why they have energy drinks and easy reach at every single street corner. In every single love the machine. love the companies. I miss them so much. I miss the Seven Elevens there. Uh, I I talk about the Seven Elevens in Japan probably on a biweekly basis to anyone who will listen around me because the, the egg salad sandwiches were that good. But I also miss the vending machines as a soda fiend. I uh, I loved just getting a Coke on the street, like in the most random spots, like rural Japan vending machine in the middle of nowhere the vibes off the charts get a coke delicious in the hot sun i looked up to see i don't know a lot about energy drinks in america or in japan but i was curious if this was making fun of a specific energy drink or if it's just a reference to like the red bull will give you wings marketing campaign i did a little research turns out that red bull didn't um make the cross didn't cross the pacific until 2005 it wasn't released in japan until then but based on a cursory google search it seems very popular in japan i don't think it's a red bull reference um they definitely have had energy drinks there for a very long time like they've had like the equip functional equivalent of like five hour energy for decades mm. um there's an energy drink reference in kodocha which came out during the 90s so i wouldn't say it's probably... I don't know if it's a reference to something specific, but it's probably not Red Bull. PMC, are you a big uh, energy drinker? I know you're not. No, no, I'm just the bitter <laughs> bitter coffee man, uh, un- very unsurprisingly. Uh, although I do have a, uh, a certain affinity for Red Bull because uh, I had speedrun a game that <laughs> wanted to have Red Bull, but, you know, couldn't because licensing. So they just called it Scarlet Bovine. And so that's kind of how I imagine this sequence of... Of Soya and Sensei enjoying some Scarlet Bovine. Kudo's theme song did just start playing in my head, by the way. (laughs) Yep. I haven't had an energy drink probably since I was going to land parties in high school. And that's just because I wanted to be ironic. And I I had, you know, I bought a few bottles of balls. Of course. Yeah. I don't drink energy drinks, but I do drink five hour energies. Mm. You listen, sometimes when you have a. ADHD, you really need a little bit of extra stimulant boost to get through the day. I hear you. I don't. I don't drink energy drinks, but I have my my fair share of soda. So I know. I know. Now the hangover causing energy drink once consumed gives Sensei wings, which propels it into the sky. Using its cat claws, Soya Wolverine style slashes it up, but the dragon quickly heals. Benika and Yosuke position themselves in front of Soya to deflect the dragon's next attack. Afterwards, Soya resumes the slicing and dicing, but it seems it's to little effect. At this point, Miyu and Tarai resolve to return to the battlefield. When they get there, Miyu calls out to Haru, 
With Ginkgo and Soya's help, Miyu retrieves Haru and rescues her from within the dragon, which then dissipates. Miyu, Haru, and Ginkgo gently float to the ground. I am such a sucker for the love transcending space and time trope. Even in movies that are only so-so like Interstellar, it, it, thematically it always works for me. Big Gunbuster vibes too whenever it you know comes up. Yeah, all this rules and it's perfectly scored. Like the way the music flows from high moments of action to uh you know to to Mew showing up and all these different things. Uh the the score so perfectly follows the mood of what's going on. It is incredible. I I like it's great. The music accompaniment is outstanding. It's funny how the background music is is so strong, but the theme songs are so forgettable. Yeah, I, I still, if I still, even after watching four episodes in the last week, I would not be able to identify the theme song if you started to play it for me. It's just the most generic theme songs. Tanaka was such a good get for this. This seems like a pretty niche like series like even i guess conceptually like when the, i imagine when jc staff was pitching it or when bondi namco arts was pitching and trying to get like a creative team together like he's a big get and he i feel like not enough people know just how good the music in planet with is and i feel like not enough people know that he composed the soundtrack to it not enough people know about planet with period also very true during the fallout after the battle ginkgo manages to snatch haru's vial Miu doesn't seem bothered by it. Speaking for Haru, who's passed out on her shoulders, Miu reveals that they're done fighting. Knowing how corruptible and dangerous the source of their power is, they simply want no part of it. Roll credits. I talked about JC Staff last episode when I talked about the clever use of clip art. I feel like it's very clever to play the credits over Ginkgo watching the news while Soya and Sensei are in the grips of their hangovers. In my mind, I don't know if I have any Veep fans in the audience, but all I could hear was the Veep music. It was like this very whimsical music that would play during the credits. Um, again, very good use of clever animation here and um, experimenting with the traditional formats uh, of the medium. Mizukami is really good with this in manga form, too. But that's not the end, even though the credits rolled. Before the episode officially ends, Benika confronts Takashi about his endgame, the director reveals that after eliminating the invaders, he wants to create a uniform ideal of justice. At any time anyone in your life says that, alarm bells should be ringing. A uniform set of values and a uniform set of ethics and morals, which Benica rejects. He wants world conquest. Benica quits. Spoken like a true fascist, Takashi envisions a totalitarian future for Earth one under the thumb of whatever retrograde-ass ideas he values. I like how quick Planet With is to critique power structures, which not all Mecha, since the beginning of Mecha, has been great at. Depends on what show you're watching. Like Gunbuster, for example, I, I mentioned I love I love Gunbuster. We'll be podcasting about Gunbuster probably in 2013 sometime. Gunbuster shares some themes with Planet With, but it does so with the trappings of nationalism and imperialism, and it's not great. It, it doesn't go out of its way to critique those power structures. Planet With doesn't, and that makes me really glad to see. Yeah, it definitely has a lot to say about power structures. I mean, it goes back to the uh, nebula, right? 
I and I love how we have gone in just a few episodes from are we the baddies to to no oh no this this guy's really bad news but also the fact that the grand paladins quit when they find out what his real intentions are that they are not going to just fuck around with fascism um Benica's great Love her. I hope, I, I hope the next two episodes are dedicated to her. I want to know more about her. Yeah, that that's a really outstanding moment, Benica walking out on that because there are so many. I can think of so many works where I get frustrated with a character not doing more to reject what is clearly a you know a rotten situation. It, it's it's just very good. I'm I'm happy to see where it goes. Planet with fun because I have no idea what's coming. I have no idea. You know what I do want to like say what I what has happened because obviously of course I am excited about what what is coming up but the other thing I wanted to note is that I think this kind of uh, episode where you have a character that achieves power at sort of a, an unacceptable cost that costs that causes them to go to berserk or sort of an unhealthy development a lot of times in you know and maybe like a in a different kind of show that's a prelude to that character discovering how to acquire power in a way that is healthy for them or they come back around and do that. And, and maybe maybe that will happen here, but I think in this episode, it's very interesting that it's like, no, dragon power is bad news. This power, like acquiring power, e- even if you're in control of this power, and we assume Takashi's in control of his power, it's still like, maybe that's worse. <laughs> maybe that's when you're, you're the fascist. Uh, so it's, I love that it's playing around with these tropes and sort of producing, you know, some, some uh, interesting comparison points between uh, Takashi and Hera. I mean, you can tell it's been, what's been on my mind. Our whole discussion here is comparing the dragons, comparing their acquisition of power and exercise of power. Now that we know more about Takashi's endgame, I'm curious about his relationship with his dad. Does his dad know what's up? I mean, he's his dad. He's, he's got to, did he, he co-sign on that? Mm. does dad yeah does dad mm. know what's up with this yeah son and yeah i don't know that's uh yeah is this silly old man actually dangerous mm. i wonder mm. how that reveals everything <laughs> i've been trying to get more from kayla i'm looking at i keep tracking her mm. on the webcam see if uh, facial expressions I put my sunglasses back on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't know anything about bad dads what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> all right We've reached the end of the episode, my friends. I'm looking forward to talking more about episodes five through six next week. But until then, Caitlin, where can everyone find you? Well, as I mentioned, um, Anime Feminist. Just had an article go up there. Working on some stuff for Anime News Network. And you can also find my Twitter, altsoon, underscore, no dare. And yeah, I think that about sums it up where I chill on the internet. I've got some Discord servers, but mostly they're private. Though you can come hang out in the Retro Crush Discord. I chase the fascists away from there. It's great. Every so often I'll just make a declaration about Vic Mignona and someone will come out of the woodwork and then just I'll be like, all right, you, I'm going to do my best to drive you out. And just everyone comes in to just be like, no, we're not going to put up with you here. And then they just, they leave. It's great. That's such a great and efficient way to like call <sighs> the shit. Just like right? one message, reveal the chuds, cut them out. 
Yep. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the best places to find me on the interwebs. That's what this series of podcasts is all about, folks. Efficiency. All right. We're going to keep saying it until you remember. Uh, if you want to be efficient in how you help Giant Robot FM, you could leave us a lovely review on your favorite podcatcher of choice, your Spotify, your iTunes, etc. would be greatly appreciated. If you want to support us directly monetarily, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Giant Robot FM. We have various supplementary materials. Uh, and including the BPOS episode I mentioned earlier, we talk about games we've been playing, books we've been reading, things we've been watching. We also have a premium podcast series called Simulator, where we go over mecha video games in the same way that we treat mecha anime. We have done the PS1 Armored Core games in the past, currently working on some upcoming ones like Zardian and Framegride. So if that's interesting to you, check that out. Of course, that does come with a patron-exclusive Discord so you could check that out as well. Speaking of, you know, private discords are always fun to hang out in. Want to thank Dwarf S for the graphics that we use. And want to thank Fretzel, hashtag band Fretzel, for the music that we use. All right. I want, I want my co-host to join me with uh, our club greeting. Runya. Yeah. Kaylee, you have to do it with us. Runya. <laughs> Runya. Yeah.